Hello everybody, Dan here, just quickly to inform you or to warn you that the sound quality on tonight's episode is not the best. We had a problem on the Zoom call while we were recording it, and I've tried to do some things to improve it, but it is far from ideal. Um, So please forgive us, hope you can enjoy the show anyway. first time listening to the show then welcome and if you're a returning listener welcome back and thanks for sticking with us this show talks about horror horror in film tv other media other items which we think of as adjacent to horror and sometimes other things from our lives which we'd like to talk about just because that's who we are now last week on this podcast we did some talking about ghosts and this week we're going to talk about some more ghosts because this week we're going to talk about the haunting of Hill House. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm delighted to be in very good company for this chat. My name's T.D. Velasquez but you can call me Dan and I'm delighted to be joined by... Kirsty Warrow in Shropshire. And also... Stella Gaynor in Manchester. And giving us a marvellous quartet. <laughs> uh, Ian Winston in Cheshire. Superb. Now, um, when Ian sets up the Zoom recording for this call, because Ian always does that for us, uh, bless him. Uh, I, I think it was deliberate, Ian, that you called the Zoom meeting the haunting of Ill House. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, sort of hip hop thing. gonna get the beastie boys around in a bit (laughs) yeah um sadly that there's a bit of lurgy going around um among among our various households kirsty thank you so much for joining us and i know that it's particularly uh, difficult where you are yes we're on um day day six of self-isolation um and my husband has definitely got the rona um i probably have the road <laughs> but he's worse than me but we're all we're, you know kind of cabin fever has sort of slightly started to set in now my my five-year-old son has spent most of the day in his pants um <laughs> toy guns fair enough that's well that sets him up for a lifetime of survivalism <laughs> he knows exactly how to respond to an apocalypse bless him yeah um, <laughs> How about you, Ian? You're all poorly as well, aren't you? Well, yeah, my son's been poorly, and um, we went we went for the COVID test, and it was negative. Um, and he's gone back to school, so let's hope it was. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you can you can but go with the test, can't you? And he's yeah. and he's better, so that would suggest he didn't have it. Uh, and we've also we've had exactly the same sore throat and and. Uh, bit of a cough and bunged up nose as he has so kids aren't supposed to have the same symptoms as us are they so 
I'd say we've we've all had the same thing. We're all getting better after just a few mm. days. So hopefully we haven't got coronavirus. <laughs> Oh, not, not 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 COVID nineteen anyway. Mm. Well, <laughs> to be specific, to be medically specific, we've all <laughs> loads of coronaviruses. <laughs> Kirsty, you're doing a public service. Uh, you're doing a service to us just by turning up, uh, but also by being on a, a publicly available podcast while ill with COVID. You you stand as evidence that yes, it does really exist. <laughs> Whatever people, some people may say. Well, so. yes. I mean, I certainly I think my I think my husband does a much better job of standing as evidence than I'm doing right now. But <laughs> I think he's not doing much standing at all, bless him. Oh, uh, but well, yeah, no, he's. Um, isn't yeah. this the second time he's had it? it? Is yeah, which is really so. unfortunate. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it demonstrates to me, I think that that my immune system is going to be stronger than his because. <laughs> he's, just, he's just addicted to hoaxes. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but um, uh, well, he, you know, we both work in education. So, but he works in primary. So, I think he was always going to be a much higher risk mm. um, in terms of getting it than than I am in, you know, kind of sixteen mm. to eighteen, where we're, you know, it's everything is stand back, stand back. Um, whereas you can't do that with he's been working with seven and eight year olds. So. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, very grim, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With their snot and their hands, not they? on their hands and their stickiness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh dear. Ah, the mental images. Splendid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how are you, Stella? I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alright. I mean, you know, I'm tired as usual, but I'm fine. Oh, germ free. That's good. We'll, we'll we'll take good news when it comes. Um, How are you, Dan? That's the other question. I think that's how oh. you rarely get asked. So I'm gonna. Oh, bless you, Kirsty. I'm all right, thank you. I've um, uh, I I'm a bit more tired today than usual because I I had a lot of work on today, so I got up especially early, and uh, had a <laughs> shot. Whoa, that was Ian. <laughs> uh, I, didn't I was just reaching fr- for the mute button and I couldn't quite get it. <laughs> so no. <you> exploded. <laughs> so, so, it, it's all right. The cloud of of germs will not reach us here. We're, we're at a safe distance. But um, yeah, I uh, I convinced myself to get out about at half past five this morning on the promise that I would allow myself to watch Hannibal while I did my morning workout. And then discovered that Hannibal is no longer on Netflix. Mm. I, I I typed in Han and it came up the possession of Hannah Grace. So I thought, ooh, Stella says that's good. But where's Hannibal? <laughs> and um, so because I just I got kind of a third of the way into the third series and then decided it's actually too long since I've seen series one and two and I had to go back and watch it all. And that's what I was planning to do. Um and because um, Ian, you were asking last week. Um, you said that the kind of episode, the episodic nature of it, the killer of the week, didn't really appeal to you. And it's funny. I, I think, I mean, it is five years since I've watched it, but I think um, the killer of the week thing kind of fades away by the end of the first series. I thought that the second series is very much oh, is um, nice? a, an ongoing plot. Yeah. Right. So lots um, of TV does that, doesn't it? Like of every genre, they kind of. It's almost like they don't trust you with an ongoing storyline until they've got going. And then then every time you get an episode that isn't part of the story of the week, 
that isn't part of the ongoing thing. You're like, what? What are you dealing with a one-off for? Give me the story. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I mean, your trifles. <laughs> I remember that watching Fringe. Like, it got more and more just about the parallel universes. Yeah. Thing. But it started off being a bit like the X-Files. Yeah. And they gave up on that as soon as everyone got addicted to the... And then they sort of retro retconned everything to be about the parallel universe thing. <laughs> and uh, and then it got really silly. Yeah. Yeah, Fringe was quite typical of a sort of view, evolution of a modern of a modern TV TV drama. I only saw one episode of Fringe, but it was the episode was the first episode which has the outbreak of a flesh eating virus oh, on the cool. plane. And I have to say that was the image that came into my head as soon as you coughed. <laughs> Just um, right. so, so that 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 obviously uh, landed for me, but I, I didn't feel the need to watch the rest of the series. I don't mind an episodic series. I, I don't mind a, a series with a continuing story, but it can be a bit annoying when it starts as one thing and then turns into the other. Mm. Um, that's yeah. I used, it was when the X Files became all about the ongoing conspiracy that I kind of lost interest in it. I liked it when it was just the monster of the week kind yeah. of thing right at the beginning. So it's, it's that transition, isn't it, from the kind of Netflix kind of golden age of television serialized rather than episodic, and that kind of yeah, you know, the difference between something that has sort of 22, 24 episodes a season, uh, you know, kind of mainstream network stuff like Fringe, um, yeah, that you know, kind of needs that or needed that you know, kind of single narrative and arc across an episode, yeah, There's so many of them. And Buffy did it beautifully. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah. It's art, but you know, kind of each episode was distinctly different. And then, yeah, that transition into kind of HBO style serial kind of stuff. And a lot of, you know, a lot of networks going, I don't know what we do with this. <laughs> and I think, you know, kind of Hannibal sits in that space, isn't it? Of kind of it's 13 episodes, but it's network. And so, you know, yeah, sure yeah. they necessarily, I mean, I know Brian Fuller absolutely knew where he was taking it. But I'm not sure that NBC knew what they were really kind of paying for. <laughs> right, okay. They were just confused. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I must say, um, I think the thing that Buffy did, which uh, I I wish more series would do, is that the, their arcs, I mean, there was an overall arc, sort of, but basically it was season-long arcs, wasn't it? So each year started afresh mm -hmm. again. And I, I and that was pretty new at the time, I think. Yeah. And and I, I I can't think of that many shows which have done that since. Well, and, Natural did that. Supernatural was just just finished. Just finished. But it, I, to be honest, right. what fifteen seasons? I think I got to about season eleven and went. Do you know what? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> There's another apocalypse. I I really like. How many have you there stopped? I really you know failing to you know. Okay, kind of felt like at that point. Um, that my viewing ha habits have been more shaped by the whole, um, you know, shorter, more, you know, kind of crafted arc. Mm. And I, that I kind of had got myself out of watching those kind of monster week type things. Right. Well, well, it's like a slog, you know. Like, it's like, who really has got time in this day and age? I mean, obviously, pre-corona. Who's got time to watch 22 episodes of, uh, you know, more demons being hunted? <laughs> Yeah. No, I think it, it's been an advantage of the post-financial crash world that 
series have just got shorter yeah. and it, you know it's made things more interesting yeah. um, on the whole i guess while we're talking about <clears throat> long form storytelling on tv it's a good point to segue into the main topic of the week then yeah. so because it is a beautiful example um so we'll talk about the haunting of hill house i am going to <laughs> label i'm going to label this episode as a missed classic on the grounds that i missed it <laughs> uh, you you all didn't also and i think it's kind of a modern classic um it seemed to be received as a classic as soon as it landed and yeah. you know two years ago when i first became a member of netflix i did it for three reasons um annihilation star trek discovery and the haunting of hill house and for some reason i didn't get around to watching the haunting of hill house until a couple of weeks ago um and you, and you hate discovery yeah well yeah but I, I do now but i've watched a lot of it ian oh, so i got my money's yeah yeah um, yes I, I i paid for hatred to be injected into my bloodstream and, and annihilation <laughs> so, was uh, a bit near oh i loved it i think annihilation was great is um, the, if i'm thinking is that the one where it's well spoilers for anyone listening is that the one where he's an android they're all androids Wait, no Oh, is no. Alex oh, is that... Garland's weird kind of... Oh, it's the Alex, Alex, what's his name? Yeah, Alex Garland. Alex, Alex Garland. Yeah. It's the thing you're thinking of, Ian, does it have Cuba Gooding Jr. in it? There, there, there's a, a sci-fi movie on Netflix with the title a bit like Annihilation. Yeah. Um, that's, I think he's probably about robots, but I, I never thought to watch it. I just caught the trailer. Yeah, I didn't like Annihilation either. Anyway. Oh right, okay. Was that <laughs> that was the one with um, Natalie Portman in it and yes, Garland? Yes. It was all right. Yeah. But it was it, like a lot of Alex Garland stuff. It starts off well, and then it's a bit like the destination is a bit underwhelming. Um, hmm. Like okay, whether it's sun, um. whether it's sunlight or devs recently, they all. They all kind of work up to a point, and then I don't really like where we end up. You mean sunshine when you're saying sunlight? Sunshine, sunlight. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. No, I'm, sun I'm, I'm on it today. I'd, I'd agree on the levels of, of sunshine, but I enjoyed all the others a lot, and Kirsty and I were raving about devs on here yeah. months uh, ago, weren't we? I did, um, I did love but, devs. I just wasn't. I didn't love it that much once I've watched it. That makes sense. I didn't want to go back and watch it again. Now I know where we got to. Yeah, I wasn't that. I was a bit underwhelmed by the end. I can I can understand that as well. Yeah, um, and that, but... that to me is the difference between great. I mean, in a way, we this is the longest segue into Hill House ever. But I feel a little <laughs> out Hill House because I did. Yeah, well, I thought destination. <laughs> well, That's let's let's talk very very briefly about that and our general impressions of it because the might, spoil, you know, let's spoiler, speak spoiler free for a few minutes yeah just just to just so that the listener who has not um seen it might know whether or not we recommend it so that so you've already more or less said that ian so would you recommend uh that this show to someone who'd not seen it or is there a caveat that you'd give them if what's not or would set. you just go and watch it Sorry, Ian. Um, my question was, if someone has not watched 
for Haunting of Hill House yet, would you recommend it to them, or would you give them a caveat? Oh, I'd I'd say I'd say definitely go and see it. I'd say it's brilliant um, and much better than Bly Manor, um, which is a, probably a whole other podcast. We might try not to talk about Bly Manor in comparison. Um, no, no, and it worked brilliantly, and actually, and it's got it had some amazing episodes in it. So I think you should just watch it anyway. I just didn't quite like the end, the yeah, sort of like like I was saying, the destination. Where the narrative okay i like the journey didn't like the destination it's like a really nice okay. place milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear what a metaphor um it wasn't quite milton, yeah, well, milton Keynes, but it was uh in a way <laughs> it reminds me it reminds me of the fact that i i love um the kind of long form tv storytelling as we've discussed on this podcast before but if you are basically if your movie is four times as long as a movie then its ending has four times the chance of being disappointing so i think sometimes um the ending of these kind of limited shows can kind of fall a bit short stella what would you mm. say to somebody who hasn't seen the housing of hill house i'd say what is wrong with you go watch <laughs> it immediately <laughs> good okay <laughs> Nice, succinct. Kirsty? <laughs> um, I would say if you like horror, if you like ghost stories, um, you should watch it. But I, my caveat would be that, you know, if you've if you recently had a bereavement mm. um, or if you don't like something that is more kind of melodramatic and emotional than it is kind of outright scary, then maybe Hill House isn't for you. Okay, that's quite sensible. Yeah, I sort of agree with all of you. Um, the standout episode is the funeral, which is yeah, yeah, which is, yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. Um, the funeral. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, well, that's a recommendation from all of us, followed from a couple of us. Um, yeah, I'd agree with all everything you've you've said actually. So let's move on and we can talk about anything we want from the series. We are in full spoilers. Um because I'm I I think there's so much to say that you couldn't say without spoiling it. Um Kirsty, you look poised to to, to make a start on this. So Who's, have we all go read for the original book? No. No. I haven't <laughs> uh, uh, Although f after what? watching the series, I started listening to an audio book of it, read by David Warner, which is hilarious, because <laughs> that's possibly not he... that's probably not how you should be feeling. But it's really... uh, well, it's just it's, it's it's only hilarious because he's a wonderful actor and a wonderful reader. But they've either just said to him, "Just do it in your own voice," or he wasn't prepared to do like american accents or anything like that so he just basically all reads it as if it's him and uh, and you know so so eleanor doesn't really sound like david uh, warner I, I imagine you know um, if i it's... was choosing and i only had one person i would get a woman <laughs> yes woman actors that, that you sometimes hear about because he's <laughs> yes. a woman the main, yes. All, most of the main protagonist, most of the main characters in it are women. Yes, and possibly an American, American woman as well. So, yeah. But anyway, Dave um, Warner, close. <laughs> but he has such a beautiful voice. He does, so, yeah. You know, um, but yeah. But, the, but I, I think 
um, as a project, it's got the, the TV series has got so little to do with the book. Like literally, they they just yeah. writes to the title and the notoriety, um, which is very cynical in a way. You could really have a pop at them for how cynical they were in that it's got nothing. And then, then they just sort of plunder the names and the location and yeah. passages. It, actually, that's probably... That's something that I could have said when we were in non-spoilers is that I think if you are looking for an adaptation of the book, I maybe wouldn't recommend it yeah. because no, it's no. nothing like it. I also wouldn't recommend and it, it doesn't... Catherine Seeta-Jones either because that's pants. No, <laughs> um, I don't <laughs> think least... anybody ever has recommended that. No, no, but the 1963's <laughs> The Haunting is pretty, is pretty cool and pretty faithful. It's an amazing film. Yeah, yeah. So I can see why they didn't want to do one because it's kind of a bit like doing turn of the screw it's been done really well yeah what are you up against but then they went and did that for their next one yeah haunting of hill house is it's it's basically i mean they, they describe it as a sort of more of a riff than an adaptation which mm. is just their excuse it could have been an episode of american horror story and just changed the name of the house and that's yeah. There's literally nothing else. There's hardly anything in it. There's there's a few things lifted from the book, but they didn't need to be. The main character doesn't, you know, the character doesn't need to be called Eleanor. You know, and, you know, so many of the things that are in the book aren't nothing to do with what you see in this TV series. So it's almost like they just need to be completely separated. It's a bit like I don't know. So many of these examples, but from hell, the book. The comic book by Alan Moore, yeah, yeah. from Hell, the Johnny Depp, the Johnny Depp uh, film. Why, mm. why did they buy the rights to that particular telling of Jack the Ripper, and then not bother doing anything to do with the book? They mm. just literally bought the title and Alan Moore's name. Yeah. It is a bit perplexing. So is that is that your analysis, Ian? You think it was kind of they were they were selling it on the name, so it was kind of a cynical move. Well. Maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe who knows how these things actually get made. Maybe you do need that notoriety to get something through the door. If you sort of go, oh, we've got something, and it's going to be, it's going to be the haunting of a house. It's going to be a spooky house, and people are going to say, well, we've got American Horror Story. Thanks very much. Um, yeah. What, tell us why this is different. Um, and if you say, oh, it's based on a classic, much loved book that's got proof of concept and a fan base. La 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 then uh, maybe that's why it gets, um, you know. But, but if, you read the, if you read the book, it opens with the same words and then they change them. Um, and then, I mean, if you're getting really fussy, I know some people, um, there's, a, there's a female friend of mine who loves Shirley Jackson, um, and she hated this because, A, they didn't bother with the, the, the things they changed and the fact that it wasn't, they didn't need to really touch the book. The fact that they made the author not a woman, they made her this quite unpleasant man. And so they put her words into, into the unpleasant man's mouth. And they're, and they're the bits that are, are directly lifted from, from the book. You know, the way yeah. it opens and, and other, other passengers, other passengers uh, throughout it. So, so, so it kind of, 
on a sort of very basic, does this work as a scary ten hours of TV? Then yes, but did it? Does what does it do to Shirley Jackson's? I wonder how many people bought this book and read five pages. Like this is shit because they because <laughs> they because they because uh, they weren't ready for quite how dry it is as a book. It's it's a, it's a masterpiece, but it's very dry. It's nothing like watching ten hours of Netflix, especially mm. the ten hours of Netflix. But um. Mm. But uh, I've, got a, well, I've um, got a quote with um, I've got a quote here from Mike Flanagan, which is way more. All right. He describes it as way more of a riff than an adaptation. There's just enough material in the book to make an amazing movie, but not enough to adapt into a ten-hour TV series. Um, and they didn't want to go up against the 1963 version. So, and then yeah, and then they describe it as a remix, which is very funny. right. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so, so well, they, it's very it's very 1990. Yeah, they sort of, it's a re, yeah yeah it's a remix. Yeah, this is the DJ Shadow of uh, <laughs> of uh, horror. But yeah, it's more interesting to break down the book and pull out the characters and the themes and individual moments and pieces of prose, even that had really stuck with me and try to rearrange it. I mean, mm. it, it is it is good, but basically it's almost like well we bought this property and we used it as a jumping off point. Actually, it's got nothing. To yeah. Do. Which maybe is very little to do with the original book. Well, I'd just say maybe you know that was part of it. Maybe they um, had to fill a ten-hour series order, and that was the only way to go for it. I think we might know someone who knows the truth, though. Stella, <laughs> have you got an idea about why this was made like this? I do know why this was made. Netflix approached Flanagan. Uh, right. asked him to make a gothic horror <clears throat> and they wanted it done at a very certain time because they had to plug the hole that was filled the hole that was left around Halloween of that year because Stranger Things was late oh, so right. Netflix wanted a gothic long form drama from Flanagan to plug the hole left by Stranger Things um, Netflix had had a decent run of gothic kind of texts um, so they'd done Hemlock Grove Stranger Things got bits of gothic stuff in it that I call the science v nature stuff. Um, and they had Haunted on the way. So they were sort of building this nice gothic horror sort of section of their curated catalogue, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, so they approached Flanagan and said, can you make a long-form gothic horror? And he said, yeah, all right. And then he went okay. away and then he came back with after having working with his team on the idea of hill house the first thing that he showed to netflix in order to get them to say yes and say okay here's all the cash please go make it was he showed them his script and his idea and his treatment for episode six two storms the funeral he was like right. only on netflix can i do this so can we do that and netflix said yeah can you have it done by halloween please because <laughs> we've got a big gaping hole in our schedule so that's what happened Right, and oh, well. um, that makes it rather a wonderful uh, circumstance that they, it was really a kind of desperate brief and they they actually have made some great art out of it. Mm. I, I still think it's kind of surprising, G given that they probably didn't need to call it Hill House and they could have not. Not, not adapted the book, but um, that, it, that's interesting. Kirsty? Yeah. What are your thoughts? 
Oh, okay. At Can this I, point, first of all, just just I'll just to clarify that because obviously, if, if people are listening and they're, if they're they're listening to the spoilers, but they're not they haven't seen it, then obviously, um, mm. Two Storms is the is the funeral episode with which it has yeah. five continuous shots in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. the longest one is seventeen minutes. Yeah. Um, but that one apparently, what I learned um, when I was doing a bit of research, this is it was in terms of production they shot that one last because of the just the logistics of doing that. So they mm. shot the rest of the series and then that. Right. So you it's know, so good. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it is. It's great. Um, the one, th- the thing that I really wanted to talk about was um, bent neck lady. Um, okay. Yeah. Because and and here's what I I just think. So well, obviously we have the kind of trope in in haunted house narratives of the kind of scary you know scary ghost. <laughs> That's the obvious thing to say. Yeah. But often they're presented, aren't they, in a way that they're completely monstrous and devoid of humanity. And sometimes they can be then backed up, explained by the plot. Um, thinking about Woman in Black with a kind of tragic backstory, which explains their kind of horrificness. Um, what I loved about Bent Neck Lady, and I loved it in such a way that it, it it helped explain or it helped make it more horrific was the idea of um, the kind of reflexive kind of structure um, within within the reveal of, so again, this is spoilers, so that Bent Neck Lady is Nell and then Nell encounters this ghost throughout her childhood at the various points. Um, and this ghost just stream, screams at her. Um, and then we see Nell's death and her sort of drop through her own kind of, yeah, her own life, <laughs> and just have this realization of it's me. Mm. Yeah, just yeah, like that it, moment. It, was... it's, the, it's the positioning where, whilst ghost, scary ghosts might be humanized by the narrative or whatever, we're very rarely shown, or at least I couldn't think of many examples of us being shown from the perspective of the ghost. Yeah, and humanizing them in that that moment. I know she's not because she's sort of dying in that you know yeah. in that moment. But it was just so well done and so powerful, and that that you know and and yeah, and it's that that contradiction between when we see ghosts or you know as they're presented in um, in fiction and also sometimes in life, we have this sense that that they're kind of somehow trapped in a moment. They're repeating a moment. You know, because we keep seeing them, or they're being shown to us, sort of often repeating actions on the same kind of moment of time. Mm. That's yeah. not true for Nell. Nell has this one big drop, this one realization, and then her sort of spirit form is what we're going to get played out in the last few episodes. Um, yeah. So it's it it you know from a human perspective, it seems like she's tr- you know trapped in this moment because they're seeing her across you know many years. But for her, yeah. a, a character, it's not. It's a singular thing, which I thought was quite yeah. interesting. It's beautifully um, done. Yeah. Yes. The idea that Nell is, that she's trapped in that moment, it's just replaying all the way through her life. When, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I never see things coming in films or TV shows. I always sit there going, <gasps> whenever I'm supposed to. I didn't know in the sixth sense that Bruce Willis was dead right until Whoa. the end. Like, I never <laughs> I never I get anything. I so stupid, so, I didn't <laughs> So when we, it is revealed to be Nell, I was I was really kind of as traumatised as she was. I think throughout the series, there's moments of intense sadness. And mm. I rewatched it again recently because it is going in, in my book. Um, and again, I just cried at all the sad bits. It was like this whole thing. It's got some scary moments, but it's just heartbreaking yeah. all the way through. So the episode where when Nell's back at the house and she 
and Stephen moves to one side and her husband's there, her dead husband. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, my God. Right. That's it. I'm done. And I had to stop that episode and like, I need to watch this another day because it's just it's just so heartbreaking all the way through. And it's got the terrifying moments. But I, like, yeah. I do like this, the theme of everybody, not just now, just being trapped in something. So Olivia's trapped in her own mind. Mm. Shirley's trapped by her need to fix things. Like she can't get past anything <clears throat> unless she's fixed it. Stephen's trapped in his own absolute willful ignorance. Also, I can't read my writing. There we go. Theo's trapped by her own psychic abilities, like she's stuck in a pair of gloves. She can't get them off and connect with anyone, even though she desperately wants to, I think. She says she doesn't. Luke's trapped under his bed, little Luke, that little boy who plays Luke. He's adorable. Yeah, he's, yeah. It, it, oh, it's, it's just heartbreaking. Oh. When he's trapped in the dumb waiter as well. And, oh, God. Yeah, oh, and then he's trapped and in his terrifying. addiction. No, now but he's it, cornered it, by the bent neck lady every turn she goes, and then but he's the way that, the marriage to his dead wife. He's just talking to her all the time, so yeah, everyone's yeah, yeah. just stuck while I'm sat yeah. there crying watching it. The <laughs> way the series <laughs> juxtaposes little, very, very little, cute little Luke with the tragedy of his later life and the, yeah. and the struggles he goes through is is so powerful. And um, yeah. beyond um, its content and quality as a horror piece. As a drama about a fractured family, I mean, I've got nine brothers and sisters, right? And we're all over the place. Um, and, and some services it's a bit difficult. Um, that You know, I could empathise with that pain of, of, of people being cut off from each other or not quite mm. understanding each other or trying to, to reach out to each other but not doing it very well. And the way the series is structured which becomes apparent after the first couple of episodes where you, you basically get one episode for each sibling mm. don't you and um, it tells their childhood and their adulthood in kind of parallel and cuts between them and the, and the fact that it does that is that's a really ambitious structure for a drama about a complicated family that it does that yeah. and at the same time manages to be coherently frightening is yeah. is kind of extraordinary really um yeah, yeah. i i suppose with the bent neck lady i was terrified but i did find that um obviously she's less frightening when you know it's nell and it becomes a different kind of emotion it, and it is heartbreaking i mean nell is uh the central character really although it's very much an ensemble piece and and they they all get equal um shout to it but the fact that um that actress is so good kind of almost makes me want to watch the haunting of Bly manor because she's the lead in that isn't she um yeah. and um and and one of the few good things i've heard about that is that she is very good i i don't know if if, if you and uh you kirsty and you ian might disagree but apparently well uh, i Bly manor's i'm gonna go back and finish blind manor but i think what you were just describing with hill house that they get the family drama and the scares and the tone of it all works perfectly sort of meshed together. That's exactly what they don't quite get right with Bly Manor. Yeah. And some people are able to sort of forgive it a bit more. Some people have gone, well, just go into it, not expecting to be scared every episode. And and actually it's quite a strange, time travel-y, weird thing. We're gothic, but not necessarily scary all the time. So, some people have described it as a love story, haven't they, really? Yeah, and I haven't watched it to the end, 
but it's got. It's not just <laughs> because he looks skeptical. Well, uh, it's not just the lead. I mean, there are there are some really good characters. There are some really good actors in there, um, and it all looks as good as Hill House. It just doesn't quite. From what I've seen, it, it, it's it's basically instead of making stuff up based on, you know, using the Shirley Jackson book as a jumping off point and then making stuff up that all fits together, they've kind of borrowed stuff from lots of Henry James and made stuff yeah. up and it's a bit of a, it seems a bit of a mess and, yeah. and and they're also they are telling a lot more in blind manner of the actual novel turn of a screw which we've all seen done a million times uh well right. all, all seen in the innocence done perfectly so it's kind of a much more of a weird mix it's got more against it yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I watched all of it, and, and I, also the woman, the little oh. girl who, sorry, the, the little girl that um, Stella couldn't stand watching. She just avoided Peppa Pig. Yeah, I don't yeah. Like that either. <laughs> so that might be what that might be why she can't stand her. <laughs> My daughter didn't really bother with Peppa Pig. I only saw like seconds of it, so I never had to deal with Peppa Pig. But I cannot deal with that girl in that. No. Blind manner. She just, I don't know. No. Not, her dialogue's awful as well. The, I, I know. The Innocence not long after I'd watched that. And it's like, no, the girl in that doesn't have shit dialogue. Do <laughs> she just talks. Oh, how wonderful or whatever it is. She says, how oh, very splendid. Perfectly splendid. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, there's no need. Yeah, well, well, The Innocence, the dialogue was written by Truman Capote and John Mortimer. You know, that's well, two yeah. pretty heavyweight writers. Yeah. Like, they get on to adapt the book, um, and um, <laughs> but, you know, people that write for Netflix are the Truman Capote of their day. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's but, true. But, how but, very but, splendid. But I'm well. What I I more mean is that because they had like an American writer and a British writer, they mm. were, uh, and they're adapting a novel by an American writer with British citizenship who lived in Britain. You know, there's, there's kind of a they're yeah. covering cultural boundaries and they're more likely to get it right there. Whereas I don't know if Mike Flanagan has any connection to Britain. Yeah, yeah. that's no excuse for something being bad. It's like, well, you didn't. No. Oh, no, I'm not. You didn't put the people in place to uh, yeah. to get this right then, did you? So, again, uh, you know, we, we must have been interrupted, Kirsty, then. <laughs> so, what were you saying, Kirsty? No, I was going to say, I, 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 did, I did stick it out to the end just because I think I kind of. I was, you know, that I had such a fond reaction to um, to Hill House. I thought I've, I've just, I'm going to give it, you know, it, its full run and just see where I feel how about I feel about it at the end. And, um, I, you know, there is the whole kind of nationality issue. It does feel very much like here are some American people. <laughs> it's what they imagine. It's like in Britain um, in the 1980s. Um, the actress whose whose name I didn't find out who played Nell, who's the lead in in Blind. Um, I mean, she's I quite, she... yeah. It's not anywhere near as good a performance, I don't think. But I don't think right. that there's you know it doesn't have the same emotional depth. Yeah. Uh, are kind of you know there's a sense that it could have been deeper. There are it, uh, it there are times where it just sort of feels like a little bit of a wasted opportunity or moments that you know. There are clearly kind of ghosts in the house in the same way that there are ghosts in in Hill in Hill House, but 
they're not they're never exploited for kind of scares the way that you kind of want them to be and they're oh. they're like in hill house they're in the back of shops and you like yeah you're gonna go oh my god and there's a thing that's gonna you know and then it doesn't um and i think that that just gonna go back to i don't think it's necessarily little miss puff pig's fault um but <laughs> there's, the, there's you know the the one the reason why that um, Hill House, I think, works is because those kids, the kids, you know, who are playing playing the child versions of the of the Crane family, mm-hmm. you know, they're all distinct, they're all likable, yeah, they're all kind of you believe them as a kind of yeah. unit and and as individual characters. The two um, young actors in Bly just didn't, they just weren't particularly likable. You know, we kind of right. we we join them too late in their horrendous experience, and I know that part of that is a oh, it's, there's a mystery to be solved there, but the result is that they're just often not very likable, and that's a problem, I think. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, that's what I couldn't get past. Yeah, it's like I want to kick you, and you're a child, and we're not. <laughs> So I'm going to turn this off. (laughs) It's often those kind of things when you've got children and they are not the monsters is that you need to, you know, particularly as adult viewers, you need to feel like they're at risk and that you don't want any harm come to them, which is why, you know, you're talking about um, uh, little um, Luke in the, under the bed and stuff. He's, you know, and yeah, but you worry, don't you? Because he's little and defenseless and, you know, worry. Um, these two kids not particularly <laughs> just don't care <laughs> what, what I, you know, I, know we, I know we've moved on to talking about Blind Man but just it's the fact that they kept using chunks from the novel and instead of putting in the governess which is very nice and period, they kept going the au pair yeah, yeah. au pair it's like that's a shit yeah. word to use in that way it's awful <laughs> The governess was cool. Call yeah. her a name. Don't call her the au pair. Just, just, yeah. just, just, there was just too many things that maybe Americans can handle it more than us, but it just didn't look like, it looked like a sort of Disneyland version yeah. of, of England. It was just. And I felt quite bad as well, because I really liked in, in Hill House. I really, I was so grateful for Henry Thomas, actually, as a presence. He's great. He yeah. And, 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 I mean, just in they get him to do this British accent, and you know, kind of make him a quite a dislikable character, which you right. know it's explained. But you know, it's that that the, there's something I thought he, he did really well as a sort of kind of earnest sort of you know dad trying to do his best in in Hill House, um, mm-hmm. but you know, clearly kind of flawed in and dealing with you know the in, you know the effects of decisions that he'd made, but. But in blind, just again, didn't care. <laughs> I think a problem okay. as well is that they're all so believable in Hill yeah. House, yeah. Yeah. and they they seem like real people. You don't come out yeah. of it going, "I want to see another film or whatever with those actors in," because at least the way I felt, they didn't really seem like actors. No. You know, um, I didn't know them from other things. They were they were just nailed. They were just look and and what's really well done is the equivalence between the the actors playing the young versions of the characters and the older ones. That it pretty they always seemed ideal. 
yeah. except with Luke, whether you know he's he's such a cute, a cute tiny kid, and he becomes kind of this hulking tragic man. But that's the point as well, yeah. um, uh, and and that's really powerful. Um, Can I just just go on additional point only because I think that what you've just done there for me is sort of elucidated one of the reasons why I think Bly doesn't work is because you're so invested in the characters in Hill House through the performances and through the actors even if like Henry Thomas you might recognise him from something else or um, uh, Carla how do you say her last name Gugino Gugino I don't I don't know actually um, I've never heard it said. yeah even if you know them from something else you still, you kind of you get sucked in pretty quickly and the, the problem with Bly is that it establishes it almost like as a rep company. Um, mm. And you know, we start off with 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 uh, Carla Gugino and um, doing this this <laughs> this accent, which travels around the UK. Yeah. I think it's somewhere like it, it, I think it's meant to be Manchestery, but it's you know it's it's not totally convincing. Um, no. And for me, it, that's the, and then when then you then you see um, the guy who plays Luke and he's in it. He's doing a Scottish accent, and then you know, kind of other. <laughs> You know, other character, other actors. To be honest, I didn't clock that it was the same actress who was play, who played Nell. Right. No, I didn't at all. So um, no. I did look her name up. She's blonde, um, isn't she? In yeah. Is she and called Victoria the, Padretti? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but when we have also the, I mean, I think Elizabeth Razor is the only one who's, oh, and Michael Hoosman doesn't come back either. But then you've got yeah. the, the actress who plays Theo in a in a later episode as well, um, and yeah. again, not terribly convincing. Um, it's that mm. it's that sense of that, that reality that was per, so perfectly crafted in the first series mm. gets kind of undone by this whole, you know, kind of yeah. repertory. Um, you know, kind yeah. of I do like Henry Thomas in. I do like Henry Thomas in Blind Manor, though. I don't, I don't, I don't mind him, but I didn't realise okay. recently that he's from ET. Mm. Right, he's Elliot from ET. Yeah. He's um, the original Elliot, yeah. And that's why that's why there's a bit with the Luke character in Hill House. Yeah. And he's got an E.T. lunchbox with Elliot's face on it. Yeah. I'm Googling it. Yeah, yeah it I'm is. just it's on IMDB. I've yeah. just seen it. But, uh, but I didn't realise till because obviously I watch E.T. often, at least once a year. And uh and, and I don't really oh, yeah. know much about what he did. <laughs> afterwards <laughs> um but yeah so he's he he plays um he plays henry wingrave in blind manor a yeah. sort of drunken uncle who's i quite like as a character um and he's and he's obviously the uh the younger dad in yeah. little house yeah, he's obviously got a flanagan company isn't he because he was yeah. just mm. as the jack nicholson Oh yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I saw that clip. Um but let's not forget he was also young Norman Bates in another missed classic, much missed, Psycho Four at the beginning. So <laughs> you know that, that surely that's at the top of his C V. Actually yeah, Absolutely, I, yeah. I thought that was quite good, actually. But um, <laughs> anyway. Um so I wanna talk about the bits of Phil House that are um, frightening to us. But before yeah, yeah, we go on to that I just want to quickly mention a couple of things which I found slightly disappointing because I want to get negative stuff out of the way because, you know, I think it's right that we're all full of enthusiasm for this. I suppose um, my main disappointment was that it got less frightening as it went along, mm. which um, and it, I, I think it's fine that it did that in a story sense because it was 
drawing to a positive conclusion and i was glad that you know we had a slightly weird unexpected happy ending but you know i cared for the characters so i i was glad of it but it did mean that it was less frightening i mean the first episode it kind of sets up this night when they left hill house as the most frightening night ever and then it doesn't show you what happened yeah. And then you spend episodes building up to it, and and it's just just the prospect of it is just pants wetting. Mm. Um, but then when you actually finally see it, it's we had a little tea party. Oh, and the the big um, thing of the locked room that they can't get in, and when they do eventually get into it, it's it's the horrifying reveal of Luke's. Uh, friend who, who who we thought was an imaginary friend but is actually the child of the housekeepers um and um the mum's poisoned her hasn't she in in, mm-hmm. in a moment of of madness and it's kind of it's emotionally horrifying but it's not what i felt was being set up at the start mm-hmm. and also i think towards the end of the series as i started to put together the plot elements um everything that that had been hinted at was developed and i suddenly realized oh it's the shining isn't it it's basically the shining you know it's they're in the overlook hotel it's full of ghosts of various kinds and it sends you mad and uh, and and you know children end up running out of the place from their mad parent um yeah. and and then and i suddenly realized oh yeah mike flanagan stephen king you know, yes, it all it all makes sense, but mm. um, so that was slightly disappointing, just because it was kind of familiar and um, and because the build up was so powerful, mm-hmm. um, and th- that would be my main kind of um, by, by Stephen King ding against. He said he liked it, even though he doesn't usually like this kind of revisionist stuff. He very much said he liked this, and it was a masterpiece. Oh, okay. oh he doesn't like anything. The miserable sod. <laughs> but he did like Hill House. <laughs> so, yeah. but he, he likes Mike Flanagan, I think. That's what I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, even, right. he even found time to slag off Kubrick, for God's sake. So, oh, yeah. that version was better. Um, you know. Oh, but did... His, did you his... see the did you see the promos that they shot for Doctor Sleep where no, Flanagan I've not and seen Doctor Sleep yet. I haven't seen it, but in the promos yeah. it's Flanagan and King sitting next to each other at the side of the studio on their like director's chairs. Mm. And Stephen <laughs> King very pointedly says, I think this is a wonderful adaptation of my book, Doctor Sleep, and a wonderful sequel to Stanley Kubrick's film. The Shining, <laughs> i.e., I have nothing to do with that film, but you know, but I've got to show my approval. Um, hey dear, I'd, I would quite like to see Dog to Sleep, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. it's all right. <laughs> okay, glowing. <laughs> I've heard, no, no, I've, no, I've no, heard average things about it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I enjoyed it more because I knew it was Mike and I'm just sort of slightly more familiar with his work. Mm. Um, yeah, but, no, it's oh. entertaining enough. Not particularly scary, but you know. Well, it's not really. Uh, I understand it's not really horror in the same way as The Shining was, and the book isn't. No. Dog Sleep book isn't. So you know that's I would, that's I would, fair I enough. Would, uh, I guess things can be whatever they want to be, but I would say if you're a sequel to The Shining and you're not scary, 
That's like making a sequel to Jaws with that fucking shark in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know. You've got a point there, the, Ian. These, yeah. things, these things should be. Yeah. Give a sequel, yeah. then it should be tonally the same or similar yeah. or a yeah. Otherwise, who, who's Not, coming to see it? Who's you know, it for? Oh, it's mm. a sequel to Jaws, yeah. and it's about, it's about his wife and how she uh, gets into playing bridge. <laughs> he's, so sometimes a husband talks about the shark he killed. Yeah. No, no death or sharks are in it. In it, it's just, but it's a yeah. sequel. It's, it's a great drama. But it's got more cute kids in it, so I think that, that might be a thing that he does. <laughs> yeah, small yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I would say that on the strength of this, I definitely want to go and check out other Mike Flanagan. Uh, shots. I haven't seen any of his other things and things like Gerald's Game and um... Gerald's Game on Netflix is yeah. really good. I, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Wait, yeah, did, really he did Ouija as well, didn't he? I've not seen that. Or is, it, or is it the sequel to Ouija? He did. Oh, oh I don't know. Yes, yeah, it's, about game, it's about a game of of uh, tiddlywinks. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, luckily on that occasion he was sequelizing a horror film which nobody liked, so he could only win on that one. And apparently, because Ouija is, I remember it got terrible reviews, but the sequel was quite highly acclaimed. Yeah. Um, as I remember, but I haven't seen either of them, so I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but I, I think um, what you're talking about with um, it not being very scary. Again, which is, which Blind Manor definitely falls into, and even this, it's like obviously we all, we all agree here that we really like the Hill House um, TV series, but that what I didn't like was was the sort of slipping into a sort of happy cozy ending, mm. which not just because it's a bastardization of the book, like sticking in that. You know, the, the beginning of the book is whatever walked there, walked alone. And that's the last line of the book as well. So you don't get a happy, cosy ending. You're trapped with the ghosts at the end of the book. It's a terrifying book. And the TV series goes, now they're all skipping along, being in a happy family, but they're dead. <laughs> and, uh, and whatever walked there, work together. <laughs> in my <life. laughs> and, I, and I I do not like it. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I wonder if that's a problem with we've talked about long form horror before, and the fact that is that a problem with long form things that you can't have what makes a ghost story good, which is that ah get it do it do it in ninety minutes and it's a really claustrophobic piece. As soon as you move into long form, can it be as scary? Are you doing a different thing? No, I was reading that he was saying um, that he'd got a different they'd planned a different ending. Mm. All right. Reveal that they're all in the the red room at the end, like they're kind of the illusion of their happy ever after is is that, and they're actually just yeah. Like, but the, well, that's he, what I read that yeah, he, that they he, were he, in the red room that it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. He could bring himself to write it, and I and I do wonder if that is the kind of question of what you you know when you put characters through eight ten hours of drama mm. that he, like I think the word he was using he can talk about is that they earned it. They'd earned their happy ending, which yeah, mm. ninety minutes of drama. I know you don't get to have your yeah. Happy sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, but you know, kind of ten hours, then you get to have your happy ending. Also, um, it's yeah. ten hours of emotional investment on yeah. the part of the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah but ten then, hours then, more than ten hours. You, about sixteen but then, hours. But then what you Whoa. do? What you do is is you make it someone's fault. You seed their doom 
earlier on so that so that there's a reason they're not just they're not just going forward as trauma and then and then getting trapped and then we go oh my god i can't believe we trapped them when they've done everything right and they've what you need to do, you, there's ways of doing it so that they get trapped at the end and you're horrified, but you also know why they got trapped because somebody couldn't give up that last yeah. character flaw. They failed their final test and everyone got fucked because of it. Um, that's, yeah. that's the way well, to do it. But he, 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 you can't sort of make other people's creative decisions for you, but that's why I didn't like it that much. Uh, ultimately, well, what were you going to say? Less, less scary. I rewatched it. Yeah, it did get less scary, but I rewatched it, as I said. I finished it about 10 days ago after after a rewatch. And I've rewatching it and probably paying more attention to it this time. So I was trying to make notes and stuff at the same time. I didn't mind the ending as much as I did on the first watch mm. when All I watched right. it the second time. Maybe because I knew what was going to happen, but I did. Cause I, even with the first watch, I was like, well, OK, that's the way it ended and sort of got on with my life. But on the second watch, I don't think I was that offended by the happy ending. I think maybe I I definitely cried more on the second watch and right. felt more for the children and stuff. So maybe when they all did get the reasonably happy ending at the end, I was like, OK, yeah, all right. They've, I think we've been through enough here in these 16 hours. Yeah. But, you know, and after things like, you know, like the, the girl with the runny egg eyes and and yeah. things like that, it was like, yeah, I do, I do want everything to be all right, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a bit strong. Yeah, so it, it kind of ties more into that, the overall theme, doesn't it? In the, the, mm. the themes of the, of the film, of the, the show, you know, it's about kind of grief, it's about loss, and it's about, well, at least in my assessment, it was about kind of yeah. forgiveness and yeah. the, the kind of the equilibrium that needs, you know, the... the I think there's a difference, isn't there, between when you're scared because of jump scares and scary monsters and stuff, and then the the you know the kind of the intrinsic human horror that that often is much more affecting, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, that kind of the the fear of losing people that you love, um, making the wrong decisions around them, mm-hmm. and then that leading to tragedy and not being able to fix that, and then how you deal with those things. So I think that for me, sort of that I, it this fits for me a little bit alongside the Babadook in terms of it it's you know it's scary and it's got monsters but it's about grief and it's about human suffering and how we cope with that mm. um so I didn't mind the ending I kind of thought the ending mm. was you know there is still loss because we still lose Hugh gives himself up to yeah and so we've lost Nell of course but you know that that feels like a much more kind of a, 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 you know an ending at the you know that when we say, say goodbye to her at the end because the rest yeah. of the siblings are saying goodbye to her and the fact that they've you know through all of this horrendous things that have happened to them have managed to start to deal with those issues that have you know where they have hurt each other and you know and struggled to kind of move on and accept the trauma of their past so i kind of narratively i felt like it was i was okay with the ending but i was also mm. um yeah, the kind of the bit where Hugh gets brought into the into the, the the red room at the end, and he's embraced by Olivia, who's kind of happy, but also Nell, who's not happy. Mm. It was kind of quite a nice little moment as well. But mm. yeah, you know, mm. didn't you know yeah. didn't want to see him join them? Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, 
So she wants them. She wants them all to live, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, it's a kind of bit, you know, it's a happy, sad, isn't it? Bittersweet kind of. Yeah, well, definitely. Narratively right for me. Mm. Yeah. I think I would agree with what you said, Dan, that the most disappointing thing for me was that we didn't see what happened on that yeah. last night in Hill yeah. House. I would have, I wasn't, say I wasn't pissed off about the ending. I was more like, it was only in the second watch that I noticed, oh, we don't actually see what happens on that fateful last night. So I wonder, I wanted to see all the ghosts running at them. And, well, and I, thought we, I, I thought we chaos, did but... see it, and but it was just not what, I, I thought we'd been set up to expect that it was a chaotic night of terrifying ghosts, but actually it was the emotional horror of discovering that Olivia had killed that innocent girl. Yeah. And he's just like, right, you've gone crazy. We've got to get the kids out. Okay. Uh, although there is the bit where he says to um, Stephen, you know, close your eyes because close he doesn't eyes, want him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, so it's like, what, what's he closing his eyes against? Is there ghosts everywhere? Like, what is it? And then it's just, ah, yeah, that's what I, I ne needed. I think bits like that and the suggestion that the house is like in itself a malevolent entity that wants to destroy the family. Yeah. Th those are the bits that don't quite fit because that ending doesn't work with that idea you know the the ending is like an emotional um uh what's the words that they use in in screenwriting classes it it's a redemptive kind of emotional ending for the human characters but the house hasn't gone through redemption it's still an evil house yeah. or at least that's what the earlier parts of the series told us about yeah, it yeah. Um, but at the end, we, we yeah, kind of we accept. in an evil house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I think that it, in terms of scripting, there could maybe have been one more draft that eased out those kind of elements. Yeah. But it probably wouldn't have been frightening, as frightening. But it wouldn't ready, have had that into, ready in time for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But um, yeah, it doesn't pass the um, doesn't pass the Schumacher test, the refrigerator test. Of, of you can watch you can watch something and we go along with it and uh, and then when you get up in the middle of the night to go downstairs to get some milk and you open the refrigerator and you go hang on a minute that's the that's the Schumacher Joel Schumacher refrigerator test all right they're the, they're the movies I thought that movies. was Hitchcock I spot logic <laughs> no no I think um, I'm pretty sure it's Schumacher well no, Alfred Hitchcock used to say that. He, 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 I think he said at one point, if there's a plot hole in the film, I don't mind if the audience don't think about it until they're, they've are they come down to open the fridge. Um, and a uh, Schumacher must have yeah. stolen he must that. Have, he must have said, he must have said he did mind, which I mind. I think that sort of, <laughs> if there's a plot hole, then then fine, there's a plot hole, but don't don't expect me to want to watch your film again. Yeah. You've, you've, got, you've kept me going for two hours, fine. Yeah. And then I've gone. Oh, hang on, that doesn't hang together. That 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 was me running around telling everyone to go and watch his masterpiece. That's uh, you know, that's oh, there's there's stuff that doesn't quite work. So so it's a redemptive piece, and the family are all dead, but together and supporting each other in an evil house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like that's, I say, that's, that's when you, that's just one more draft. That's that's when the that's when the sort of um, house of cards of the narrative starts falling apart. And, it's not. It's far from perfect in that way. But the same, like I said, the destination is not so good, but the journey amazing. So, and the destination's all right. 
Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the journey and the scary bits because we, you know, as as we start to wind up this um, discussion, let's we've only got a few minutes left, I think. Let's all talk about bits that really upset and frightened us. Um, does anybody want to go first? If not, I will. You go, Dan. Okay, yeah. thank you. Um, more than us. <laughs> so, uh, I, well, yes, I've probably, because I'm scaredy cat, and it really affected me. And I was watching it, I think, I, I think it was on Halloween night when I got to the episode Bent Neck Lady. And I thought, shall I watch this? And then I thought, no, I'm... I'm it's going to screw me up. It's it's already 1am. I, I can't deal with that. I'll watch that tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, so, um, obviously, the bent neck lady is very frightening, although um, I didn't expect it to turn into the kind of emotional horror of the tragedy of what happens to Nell. Um, and the bit where um, you realise that she's there watching the moment where her husband had his heart attack or embolism yeah. or whatever it was, that's was just crushing. Um um but in terms of the pure fear stuff i think i probably was a bit more afraid of the 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 ghost of the man with the walking stick who floats down mm. the corridors possibly because mainly we see him through little luke's eyes yeah. and, and he's just this hulking presence i mean Again, the ending does try and make out, oh, no, he's all right, really. He was just a little bloke who's very unhappy and bricked himself up in the wall. And because he was so unhappy, his spirit is huge or something. <laughs> but um, uh, but but he just, yeah, the the whole kind of scene where, where Luke wakes up and he's the knocking and goes and looks at this huge, hulking, floating, bizarre figure. Um, and it also touched on that the artistic license of ghosts that, you know, the director or whoever can choose to make the, the spirit look bizarre and then not really explain it, although this series does try and explain his appearance a bit. But, you know, he just, he looks like a massive Jim Henson creature workshop um, <laughs> kind of puppet guy. Um, you know, he's he he's left his ordinary human form behind and become this Babadook esque figure. Um, and then when the adult Luke keeps seeing him appearing in the streets and stuff, um, yeah. that 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 whole episode is just so compelling. I think that's probably my favourite episode, apart from the funeral episode, because of the um the the, the cocktail of horrors in it. You know, the emotional horror of Luke's struggle with addiction and then um, the fact that um, his friend, whose name I can't remember, who he, who he goes looking for when she runs away from the shelter, you know, she ends up stealing money from him and, and all, all that kind of thing. And, and all, all the way through that, he's being haunted by this figure. Oh, and then he's beaten up, isn't he, by some yeah. random guys. <laughs> and, and and he's just kind of being stalked by this ghost figure. So, yeah. Um, and oh, and and, and the bit where uh, the 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 whole episode about Shirley and the, the thing with the um, uh, oh, are they rabbits or mice or something? That oh, the, kittens. Oh, the kittens. kittens. The kittens. The kittens. The kittens. Yeah. The kittens yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, and and <laughs> and she's desperate, and one of them dies, and she's desperately yeah. hoping it will wake up. There's a fly in its mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gee. Um, yeah, just shivers down the spine and gosh. Mm. So, 
uh, I could go on. There's 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 a lot more. Um, what, what, who'd like to nominate other moments of spookiness or other great moments? I think you probably covered more than I've. The bent bent net leg is really the bit that sticks out. Yeah, that's yeah. The big, that's the big invention of the thing. Yeah. And I, I guess I wasn't scared all that much for most of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I was. I wanted to be. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone. I was, I was scared. I was just. I was scared enough in general to keep watching. Yeah, but uh, yeah. nothing really jumped out massively. I'll tell you, it was great. <laughs> well, it was. It's the bit at the end of the first episode with Nell. Yeah, really... she's just in Stephen's flat. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I and in a way, um, the series is never that for any again but because it was only the first episode i was like oh my god this is gonna be yeah. this is just the beginning you know um there's the moment where she jumps between the sisters in the car so oh yeah having a car and she just darts between them as they're driving and screams yeah i knew that was coming obviously with the second watch but i still jumped yeah. Um, yeah but then yeah obviously the bent neck lady she was definitely stopping me from getting up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet for a while <laughs> and um, the monologue about the runny air guys. So the guy, yeah. he's, he's a, it's a, the Narcotics Anonymous meeting, isn't it? And there's the veteran guy. And he, he tells his story of the finding the little girl who'd been burnt. And yeah, I just, that was a thing that I just, just kept thinking about for, for several days after. Definitely stuck with me. Anything else? What bothered me actually most... I think, aside from the bent net lady, was afterwards I found an article that was about all the ghosts that are in the house. And there's something like 80 ghosts in the house. And it was, um, it's probably BuzzFeed or something, wasn't it? But it had a still where it showed each ghost. And I, and I looked at that and I was like, God, there's all these ghosts that I kept missing. And then on the second watch, I was like, oh, there it is. Look at there, the faces in the stairs. I was like, good God. No wonder I was so uncomfortable watching it because the house is just watching you. Yeah. Mm. yeah it's me, the, it's the, the subtleties of it rather than, mm. you know, yes, the lady did absolutely kind of terrify me. But I think what it's the more kind of subtle moments of sort of disturbance where it hint, hints at stuff rather than mm. sort of shows it. So, so in the, the episode with Luke, um, he starts like he starts rubbing his neck. Yeah. Halfway through the episode, and then oh. starts talking about like he, you know, his like his legs feel stiff and he's cold. Yeah, like like right. he's um they, they established the twin thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it, the twin oh, thing. Course, yeah. yeah. Oh um, yeah. It's just like it's, but it's the sadness, it's isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Oh. oh, and yeah, yeah. And it's like the, it's like the the kind of reveal. It doesn't make sense of it earlier on. I don't think the show does the best job of explaining exactly what's going on, really. But the the idea that the you know the kind of the the red room looks different for all of them, and they've all been yeah. in that space. Mm. Um. So like there's the the bit where we you know you've got the the girls sort of dislocated in time on the one side I think it's um, Nell and Shirley trying to get into the red room and then it cuts to um, Luke uh, so, so Theo doing kind of dance practice and then yeah. the other side of the 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 door you know being the door handle being you know yeah um, shaken and stuff that so that. Kind of the, the the way in which the house kind of morphs and you know that. Um... I, I, I'll admit to being thick. I didn't really get what that was trying to explain. I didn't understand that she was in the red room. 
yeah, yeah. Is uh, yeah, that's the idea? Is it that they've all kind of been in there? Right. Ah, uh, okay. So it's like it Luke's treehouse as well. Yeah. 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 So it's it. You know, it's the it's the the room because it's got the there's a window that's there's the a same. window like yeah. a yeah <laughs> yeah that's in that space. So it's it's yeah. going to subtle things like that that you don't necessarily pick up on you know the first watch, but is mm. you know like you say kind of just underneath sort of deeply unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's worth it for all those little things. Yeah. I think it is yeah. worth a second watch, yeah. and if you can see where all the ghosts are, and then see if you can spot them when you when you watch it again. That yeah. was. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> it's a bit scary. I just sat on the sofa going, oh my God, yeah. there it is. <laughs> As if I didn't see that before. <laughs> yeah. It just made me quite want to have a look at it again, actually. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I'm I'll gonna, if I can find the article, I'll, I'll send you the link. I'm oh, going to try and, try and persuade Kelly, who is really good to watch scary films of because she's terrified. But she <laughs> quite liked Blind Manor. Um, All right. So I might trick her. And so, <laughs> that wasn't very scary, was it? This is by the same. Yeah, yeah. But uh, before before I forget, I have um, I have looked up the refrigerator thing. Yeah. Um, right. Just because I was I was wrong in that it was Jonathan Dem, not Joel Schumacher. Right. Um, but he said, you know, you've just come home from a movie, you had a great time. You go to the refrigerator to get a beer. You open the door and you say, wait a minute. If a film has got the audience until they open the fridge, maintains director Jonathan Dem, then, oh, so I was wrong. Then that's all that matters. I'm going to stop my own fridge test. And then apparently he did sort of base it on Hitchcock's icebox yeah, test. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah. But I would say that isn't all that matters. <laughs> Go away, Jonathan Dem. I really, really get bothered if I, if a film, the house of cards of a narrative collapses, I am really bothered. I get annoyed. <laughs> I suppose um, it's like the difference between knowing, like, if, when you when you're watching it, if you are astute enough, which I'm not, to recognise when that's happening. Yeah. I don't <laughs> until I really think about it. It's like, oh yeah, that wouldn't work. But it's too yeah. late. No, quite often we aren't. Quite often we do just if it, if it's bad enough that it goes and you go, hang on, what about so and so? What about that person? You know, like we were talking about Alien 3 the other week. Is he alive? Is he dead? What about that? You know, who's, who's still going? You know, when, they, when they've dropped all the narrative threads, then that's really bad. But when things don't quite work and they're kind of hoping you won't notice, that's... Well, it, it ruins the possibility of a second viewing, doesn't it? We're all film fans, it and you way, know, yeah. when we see a, a film yeah. and love it, we want to take it home with us and watch Absolutely. it again. Um, and it, it's, it's a shame when that's I mean, disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a bit like when they were trying to they were trying to adapt the Big Sleep, and people sort of phoned Raymond Chamber up and said, "What happens to this person? What happens to that person?" He's like, "I have no idea. <laughs> I wrote it drunk." So, you know, so trying to adapt to Raymond a Raymond Chandler is impossible because he doesn't never doesn't give. He just wants to keep it going forward. So that's why Raymond Chandler needs to be adapted by only the best filmmakers. Well, yes. Call yes. Michael Winner. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, The Big Sleep is an amazing film, but um, yeah, but not yeah, the Michael Winner version though. I would say, I would assume not. Having, <laughs> having not seen it. But uh, but yeah, but but Hill, Hill House is, is is very very good. I would say it stops short from being an absolute classic because of its shortcomings. Um, for my money, 
Uh, you'd be going, what do you want, Ian? What do you want? Perfection. Perfection. <laughs> and then I'll say this is absolute stone cold, absolute, you know, if it's the Sopranos of long form horror, then it's perfection. Um, whereas this is more the Game of Thrones of uh, long form horror. <laughs> okay. that lots of it's yeah. good, but it ultimately has a disappointing destination. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, we're, we're winding up this up. discussion. Um, the magic of uh, the podcast. Stella just held up a card saying, I have to go see <laughs> You're spoiling the magic. I didn't want to ruin it. But no, 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 no. I, I did have my eye on the time. I'd let it go a little bit. Yeah. But before we go to recommendations, is there anything else that anybody desperately wants to say about the haunting of Hill House? Um, I'll just say that that was a very attractively turquoisey post-it note that you just mm. held up, I Stella. That. Yeah, that's grand. <laughs> um, okay, so. Um, a qualified recommendation then for a, an almost modern classic from from all of us there. I, I'm really glad I watched it anyway, and I, I don't think I would have done if it hadn't been for all your recommendations. So, yeah. um, oh, um, thank you so much. Um, all right. So speaking of recommendations, let's have someone then wind up. Who'd like to go first? Well, talking <laughs> of your recommendations on this podcast, I'll just quickly say I've I ended up spending the weekend. Being ill, which is perfect timing, I'm binging his dark materials. Yeah. Up to the point where I think, Kirsty, you saw me on Twitter. I, yeah. I tweeted Jack Thorne just to sort of saying, I finally watched it, and then I watched the latest episode live. And I don't know when I last watched an episode of anything live. Right. But you're going, it's on in 10 minutes. And when it was over, when it was over, I was like, when it was over, I was like, no more. I just want to keep watching. <laughs> His dark materials. Why have I? Why have I binged them? I felt. I felt binge's remorse. I was like, I'm, I'm loving the end, but I could be watching dark materials. I love the that's title thanks, sequence. That's to the, yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful title sequence. It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it's a. It's absolutely. It's a brilliant adaptation. Yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. You, weirdly, um, do you know what my favourite bit of the the theme tune is? Um, the bit that goes. Duh, 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 duh. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> but well. But not 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 during the magnificent, amazingly animated title sequence, but just right at the end of the episode yeah, when the, the credits come up, it, yeah. just like it black up, black up, screen, dun 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 dun. It's yeah, so good. It, it's uh, it's a great kind of uh, make you want to watch next week kind of Definitely. deal, which is why I've not watched any of the second series. I'm I'm letting it all build up in the iPlayer and then I'm oh, going to yeah. binge it probably over Christmas. Oh, it's so Sounds... cool. I yeah. just I just love the fact that it's just really really good to sort of see i probably haven't read the books in a long time but i kind of they're really memorable books so they stick mm -hmm. in my head and it's just it's the way he's stuff that you know is coming and it like arrives early and mm -hmm. and you know people who don't know what they're talking about are complaining um but mm -hmm. but it just shows how this is how you do tv yeah, it's lovely <laughs> It's and really it's lovely. It's our Sunday go, night. It's obvious we're going to go into our world parallel universe-wise, so let's get it over with and do it in episode two or whatever it is, <laughs> um, <laughs> and just open up that whole that whole area. And then, yeah, just just so many things that are just absolutely brilliant about it. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, well done, Julie Gardner and uh, Jane Tranter. Yeah, 
We owe um, Doctor Who, we owe Doctor yeah. Who for this. Master yep, Master. it's it's a logical next step. It's great. Um, mm-hmm. Kirsty, what's your recommendation? Right, so I've got one, and I've recommended it before, but I've enjoyed it so much that I'm going to recommend it again. All right. <laughs> so um, uh, by the time this episode goes out, the final episode of Natasha Hodgson's The Sink oh. will have been released on uh, BBC Sounds. I did listen to the first episode, and I will listen to the rest of it. It's great. It's great. It's genuinely hilarious and genuinely just disturbing and terrifying. Uh, <laughs> Shall I tell you what? Weirdly, it's genuinely relaxing as well, yeah, although yeah. I find that it is. No, and Alice Lowe sort of rolls the narrator. She says lovely little things like, oh, let's have a little drain. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like near the top of the first episode, yeah. she says, lie down. Uh, also, something like, now you must make yourself comfortable, so lie down in your area. <laughs> and and uh, now I always think about my bed as my area. I think it's uh, six episodes all together, so they're about 25 minutes each, um, and they, you know, surrealist kind of uh, sketch comedy primarily. Um, but there's this just kind of, there are over a series of episodes, these themes and characters that start to develop. Um mm. Which is quite lovely to sort of see how that kind of, you know, I'm very excited for the last episode and kind of annoyed cool. I've been deprived of my normal podcast listening time because, of, you know. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 It's it, the, the podcasts are dependent on routines, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and having places to walk to and, and whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's essential. It just has reminded me, I don't think, because I binged it so quickly, the, the, the third of the uh, Lovecraft. Yes, the third <laughs> of the Lovecraft. Sorry, was that going to be? No, no, it? no, no, I, no. I was, I, I was, I'd got to, but then for the time, I thought I'll, I'll lose, I'll lose one. Um, oh, I yeah. want, Ian will say uh, a shadow over Innsmouth. Oh, you are, <laughs> you, you are completely correct because I've just suddenly gone. Oh yeah, because I, I literally was waiting for it so excitedly, and then I listened to it while walking. I didn't do any damn writing. I just went walking in spooky words, listening to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's on my wife. So. But um, <laughs> but yeah, and it's uh, it's just been so good. Um, it really is uh, the best iteration of Lovecraft, I think. Although right. I haven't seen Pillow Out of Space. Oh, I saw that last week. Is it I good? watched it. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? I know, it's, it's queued up. Is it? Can, is, can it that, is that a recommendation, Kirsty? Is it a good Nicolas Cage film, or a crazy Nicolas Cage film, or a bad it's Nicolas Cage film? It's, it's a beautiful moment. <laughs> it, it's it's all a little bit too in your face for the kind of Lovecraft that I quite like. But right, but that's why these definitely. Julian Simpsons are perfect because they're they seem to be the only. That's how Lovecraft's always been for me. Hmm. A bit like he's done it, and then it doesn't get done like that. It's, no, it's like schlock and gore. Yeah, yeah, in Hollywood, understated kind of. Yeah. Essential dread, rather than, yeah, yeah, but no. I mean, it's 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 certainly an experience. I will tell you that. Mm. Okay, so. Stella, how about you? I'm going to recommend a film that's. I think it's about ten years old, but I only got around to watching it on Sunday. I think. And um, you're next. I'd not seen it, and I watched it, and it was loads of fun. It was really oh. really good. I'm um, trying to remember what it is. It's some people, they're in a big house, and then there's people outside sort of hunting them. They've got animal masks on. Right. So it's a bit, 
it's a bit like a people hunter slasher type thing but then by the end it's quite serious at the start and it is genuinely disturbing that there could be someone just outside in the dark with a crossbow um and the, but then by the end it's gone almost not quite comedy but maybe sort of black comedy and it's got one of the best screen deaths i've ever seen yeah right yeah it's um it's on amazon and i finally got around to watching it and i was really really impressed so yeah check it out it's, it's a good short one as well it's like an hour and 20 minutes so you can oh, it's squeeze it in yeah it's it's Barbara, really, really really enjoy Barbara it. crampton's in it right i don't think i've seen it good okay oh, it's nice it's, one it's, it's certainly looks like a film that um if i had seen it i'd remember seeing it mm. it's really Perfect. good my recommendation is also Amazon Prime. I just noticed this week, sometimes when I recommend things on Amazon Prime, they go away immediately. This one probably won't because it's only just appeared on Amazon Prime, unless they're doing it for one week for some reason. Um, <laughs> it's Interview with the Vampire. Oh. Yay! Kirsty, <laughs> you and I used to talk about these movies. I remember, you know, you recommending, well, sort of qualified recommending Queen of the, of the Damned to me, which I've... I've seen. <laughs> well, uh, Interview the Vampire is, is a great movie and uh, a prime slice of 90s gothic. Um, and one of, probably one of the best Tom Cruise movies. It's one of the. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. early on in the, yeah. in, in, the, in the period of people realizing Tom Cruise is not just a pretty boy, he's actually a good actor. Yeah. But um, before he went crazy. So there's like a. Yeah. It's, it's like a sweet spot. Pre, pre cult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Mid to right. late '90s. Tom Cruise. Good stuff. Um, it's a fun film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's well done. And, and it um, was uh, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. 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 She steals I mean, the movie. I, I, I she really does. I found her. I found her not very clever. Shall we say? <laughs> oh, when you interviewed her. Oh. Yeah. Right. She oh dear. Me as someone who got stuff. But uh, <laughs> well, she's <on> good. <laughs> she's good on screen. Susan, <laughs> Susan Sarandon was there as well, and she kept kind of looking a bit, and then explaining stuff, and then. All oh, right. Uh, and then, oh. yeah, she wasn't. She was, well, no. maybe that's what um, you know. That's the, the the fault of the parents of theatre kids. She's been shoved in front of cameras since she was very small. She might have been. All right, I think that is it for this week. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, I Thanks, would Dan. give the listener you very welcome. My pleasure, my distinct pleasure. I have no idea what's happening next week, except that we'll do a podcast about something. <laughs> so, so I'll put that in your diaries. I'll be not doing the Legend of Hell House. <laughs> That's coming up. That will come up. Spoilers, but I just oh, don't know exactly when. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. So. Thank you very much, Kirsty. Thank you very much, Stella. Thank you very much, Ian. Um, I'm Dan. You're the listeners who I'm talking to now. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> you have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warro, T.D. Velasquez, Stella Gaynor, and Ian Winterton. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism. 
in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash AndNowPodcast. And now the podcast stops.